a reading from Paul's second, Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you may by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need." so that at their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today. And if it's your um, first Sunday here, um, we're talking about money. So uh, We've been talking about money for the past couple of weeks, and so we're in a series entitled Managing God's Money, and uh, we've really been um, in awe and sort of shocked at how much the scriptures teach and talk and reference about money. And what we learned is the reason why is not because money is the most important thing. We've established that. Money is not the most important thing. Money reveals the most important thing, which is what you love. Which is why Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so the way that we've sort of mapped this series out is we asked, whose is it? And we answered that it's all God's, that it's God's money. The second week, um, last week, we asked the question, how do I earn it? Which was a very, you know, kind of interesting question to ask and got a lot of feedback from. I didn't know that the scriptures talked so much about how I got money. That really, when it comes to money, there's a number of questions the scriptures ask. But one of the primary ones is, how did you get that, right? And we learned that money gain um, dishonestly never really lasts. But money that's earned honestly, diligently, and humbly tends to last. This week, we're going to answer sort of two questions. Um, why and how do I give it? Right. And so this is the one that everybody's always like, I knew we were going to get to this message at some point. Um, You're right. And I'm unashamed about that. Okay, Um, because the Bible talks about it. All right. So if you've experienced anything during the service, you probably realize we're a big fan of the scriptures. Okay, 
Um, we don't come in here going, oh, I hope God will speak. Um, he has multiple times um, through the Bible. It's, it's pretty incredible what we believe about that. And so today we're going to answer um, why and how do I give it. But as I was thinking about this this week, you know, it's, it's always hard when people are like, hey, you know, how long does it take in your sermon preparation and this, that, and the other? And I'm like, I, it, it never really turns off. I, I don't know how to separate, like, this is sermon preparation time. And then the, it's just always there. And so we have a normal routine in our house in the morning as we're getting ready to go to school, load the kids up. And um, the first stop is to Oak Grove, which is so we go down Township Line. And we either kind of try to read some Bible, sing some songs, or, you know, do something. But if you know this, on Township Line, as we um, approach, there's, there's the roundabout now, Right? Um, I'm a big fan, big fan of roundabouts, okay, love roundabouts. Um, some people aren't, okay? And Popper Bluff has a kind of a problem with roundabouts. It's sort of like a cow with a new gate. Like, what is this? This has never been here before, right? And so um, there's a sign when, when you approach the roundabout, which is sort of a yield, and, and it's the roundabout sign, which, which lets you know that Yielding means that you yield, maybe stop for a brief second to look and see, then you sort of continue and go. Um, on this particular day, um, an individual that will not be named, okay? Um, I, I'm just kidding, I don't know who they were. Some of you guys are like, it was me, it was me, right? Um, decided to stop in the middle of the roundabout. Well, that's a problem, okay? That's a big problem. So now we've got sort of backup, things are you know, sort of happening. And so in my frustration, uh, the Lord just kind of slid into my DMs, if you will. And, 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 and I, I have to learn that this is like that. So, so, so all through my week in sermon preparation, I'm going, God, I know that you say it's this, but what's it like? And so just sort of as we left the roundabout, just, I've just felt the Lord say, it's like that. It's like that. Um, because when it comes to money in our life, the sign above it should look like a roundabout, that it's moving, that when it comes in, it goes out, that when it comes in, it goes out. It should not look like the stop sign, the dead end. Because see, Proverbs actually mentions this. In Proverbs chapter 11, it says, One who gives freely yet grows all the richer, yet another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So, so your life, listen, this is a newsflash, and, and, and for some of you, this is just going to be profound. Listen, look up here. Your life is not about you. I know you got the extra cupcake and the star next to your name, but that's not about you. And when your money, or, or whose money is it? Good. All right, we're learning. Great. When it comes to God's money, the sign above your life is not a dead-end stop sign. That rather that you were designed in such a way that when God's money passes through your hands, it's just that. It passes through our hands. And it goes to where in which he's designed and designated it to go. But listen, everybody's like nodding their heads. They're like, oh, we know. Yes. Amen. But, right? This is the one that's always like, I know that this is true. But there's the disconnect, when it, and listen, it's tough, it's difficult, right? And um, I believe that there's probably two main barriers when it comes to generosity and what we're talking about here today. Um, 
The first one is consuming. If you're an individual that looks at life in such a way that consume, 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 get, 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 enjoy, pass it through, consume, consume, right? And I mean, if there's ever a sign that should be held over the United States of America, it is consumption, right? I was convicted of this this week when I put my trash out by the curb. Like, anybody else do it at night so no one else sees? Anybody else? Okay. For a family of five, I'm just like, what in the world? This is like a village. And it's this idea that, man, there's a, I have a large part of my life where there's consumption, right? And, and then, you know, for some of you, don't, don't feel too self-righteous because the second barrier is hoarding. So it's consuming and it's hoarding, right? So, so there's actually a lot of similarities in that. The consumption is, I'm going to use this, I'm going to use this. The hoarding is, we need to save it because someday we're going to use it, right? Right? But, but there's something underneath both of these, and it's that there's never enough. The reason why you consume is because you run through things all the time, and there's never enough, so it's on to the next hobby, it's on to the next something, it's always on to the next consume, consume, and hoarding is the same way. Oh, there's a great fear that one day I'll need this, and then if I don't have it, then it's always, there's never enough. You see, listen, those, those are the symptoms. That's the fruit. But what's the root? The root is one big word, and it's called greed. That's it. And so whether it comes to consuming or whether it comes to hoarding, the symptom underneath all of that is actually greed. And you know what? I've been in the game for a while. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've had people come up to me and confess. I mean, like, I've been out at, like, community events, and someone pulled me aside and just say, like, boom, and just drop something serious. And I'm like, there's a Ferris wheel behind us. Like, this is in, whoa, right? And do you know, listen, listen, do you know what I've never had? Ever one time, I've never had an individual come up to me and go, Pastor, I must confess to you, I am a greedy individual. Pastor Jason, my life is consumed by greed because we think none of us are guilty of it. And the reality is, is the way that Jesus teaches about money exposes everybody in the room. Because the barriers of those things actually live and, and, and make it that our order of life sort of looks like this, right? So when it comes to how we live, it goes live, save, give. That's what it normally looks like. Live, bills, this, that, and the other, right? All of this. Live, save, save. How's that going, right? Yeah, live, save, then give. Then whatever, ah, I'm just trying to, oh, you know, it's just right now. And then we got the thing. And then what we're doing is the bathroom. And we got the tile now. And, the good, and, the, right, and the, all that's great, right? All that's good. But when you live that way, you never get to give. You just never get there. And um, Jesus comes along and says, actually, the way that you make war um, on greed and the way that you actually realize how deep it is in your life is you reverse the order. You give, you save, and you live. Now listen, I know what I just said to some of you. you I've lost you. You just turned your brain off. You're like, well, this isn't. 
practical for me anymore. This just isn't real. Because, Jason, you don't understand. That would affect my way of life. Oh, God forbid, right? God forbid that something that Christ said would rearrange the order of our life. That would be crazy. Because then we would live like followers of Christ. And so today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is probably the most condensed, consolidated teaching that we have on what it looks like for a church to give. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is, is, is he's actually raising funds. It's a fundraiser, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And he's talking to the church in Corinth about another church. And this other church was facing persecution, poverty, I mean, all types of stuff, and they gave to in order to go plant other churches. Now, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth is very well off. And so Paul's kind of like, hey, you know, you guys drinking the drinks with little umbrellas in them and stuff up there. You know what the Macedonian church did? They were facing all of this stuff, and they gave in an incredible way. So then this is their example, and I want you to do the same thing. And what we see is why we give and how we give. And so the first thing is this. Why do we give? Why do we give? And I love it. It's, it's right there in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Look at, I mean, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and then almost 9 in the English Bible. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. I mean, it takes him nine words to get to the word grace. And he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has happened among the churches. The Apostle Paul, in these two chapters, uses the word grace ten times. Ten times he uses the word grace. Very interesting when it comes to money, when it comes to giving, when it comes to all of that. The Apostle Paul is greatly concerned, just like Jesus Christ was, in why are you giving? Why are you giving? Because Jesus taught a lot about like, hey, if you're giving so that you can be recognized, keep your money. And I would echo that. If you're giving your money to Westside so you think that you can lord power and authority or be recognized, I don't want your money. None of us do, right? That's blood money, and it didn't go well in Acts chapter 5. Just read up on that, all right? Well, what Paul says is, ten times, is remember, remember the grace of God. Remember the grace of God. And then look at what he says right there. Here it is, um, verse 8 and 9. Actually, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, might, by his poverty, might become rich. Hey, just write in the margin of your Bible, gospel, gospel. That's what that is. Gospel, good news. Hey, I would remind you, um, and there's a lot of teachers that take this out of context. They're like, see, Jesus was rich, then became poor, and so when you become a Christian, you need to be rich. The problem with that is like the rest of the Bible, okay? Paul is talking about a spiritual truth that is manifested in a material reality through giving. He's talking about salvation here. That's what he's talking about. And it's so interesting that anytime that we see somebody famous who's very wealthy, and then they give a large amount of money, we're always like, ooh. Or there's always the critic that's like, you know, um, like Michael Jordan opened some hospitals this week, and I saw some people online, they were like, that's nothing to him. 
says the guy on the internet who doesn't give anything, right? How many hospitals have you opened, okay? It just, that kind of stuff wears me out. But when we see this in celebrities, we're sort of ooh and ah. And, and a couple years ago, uh, the author J.K. Rowling, who, who um, authored the famous series of books, Harry Potter, right? Um, became one of the wealthiest women ever in the world. Billionaire, one of the best-selling books of all time. And the title read that she had fallen off of the Forbes list, most, health, uh, most wealthiest. And so everybody thought, ooh, the taxes and this, that, and the other. Turns out um, that she donated close to $200 million every year, which ate into her net worth, and she fell off the Forbes uh, most wealthiest list. And we're like, ooh, wow, right? Um, listen, God in Christ was so generous that he fell out of heaven. You thought about that? That literally Christ leaves a place where angels day and night sing holy, 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 and innumerable riches, and then we celebrate it every Christmas that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if we see anything in our theology, see, the series isn't really about money, right? The series is about how do you view God with your money? And what we see about the heart of God is that giving is at the very heart of God. And I know what you're asking. Do you have some Bible verses for that? Yeah, actually I do. John chapter 3, verse 16, remember this one? And hey, by the way, when I typed this out this week, I got so convicted that we think that we move beyond John 3, 16. Oh, that's good for like an evangelistic event or in the beginning or this like that. But man, we get into the, into the deep things of God after John 3. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? For God so loved the world that he what? What did he do? That he gave his only son. John says later on at the end of his gospel, I write these things so that you may believe. That you may believe what? In the generosity of God and who he is. And then later on the apostle Paul says this in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Twice that he gave him up and that we should also give us all things. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5-6, through 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then one of my most favorites is Galatians chapter 2. For I've been crucified with Christ, that is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And now this life that I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In all of Paul's letters, that's the only time that he refers personally that Christ died for himself. And it's almost like that he can't contain himself. That he goes that he gave himself for me. Here's what I'm saying. Our giving is motivated by the gospel. Because the gospel is all about giving. So listen, you show me somebody who knows and appreciates the gospel and knows what they and who they have been saved for, I'll show you somebody who's generous every time. Why do we give? We give because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now very practically, Paul shifts and says, how do we give? How do we give? Now, I have to do a little bit of work for this, okay? Because some of you, when you grew up in church, um, and if you didn't, welcome, we're glad you're here. I'm going to talk about some stuff. You're like, what? But it's all cool. We're glad you're here. Later, we're going to say that we eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. It's great. Hang out. It's going it's to be a lot of fun, okay? Um, but if you grew up in church, when it comes to how we give, some of you, your first thing went to the tithe, Okay? Now, tithe is, is, is a teaching in the scriptures about a tenth, 
okay? And it first appears in the book of Numbers when God is instructing the people of Israel after he has saved them from the land of Egypt. And he talks to them about a tenth. A tithe translates a tenth. Now listen, this is an agricultural society. And so one of the ways that all of this function, God said at harvest, before anything goes down, before you allot and distribute and do anything, a tenth of that is to go to God's house in order for the ministry and the expansion of all of that. Now, if you think that in Numbers it, it appears, that, that it appears the first time there and that tithe is a part of the law, it actually precedes that, okay? So in Genesis, we have this crazy story of Abraham encountering probably the pre-incarnate Christ. I know that's a crazy concept, okay? But God blesses him, and Abraham gives uh, Mount Kizedek a tenth, tenth of his possessions and all of this, and it's, and it's incredible. Now, some people say, oh, we're in the new covenant. You can't lord the law over us, blah, blah. Well, the problem with that is a, a guy named Jesus, okay? He's a, he's a big deal, right? And Jesus says, I've actually come not to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. <laughs> See, do you know what he does? The law says that um, don't murder someone with your bare hands. Everybody, are you guys doing okay with that? Everybody doing all right? Okay, good. Security. All right, everybody good? Jesus says, um, actually, if you're angry with someone in your heart, you've committed murder. How's the whole, uh, don't put the law over us anymore, right? And so what we realize now when it moves into the New Testament, listen, we never see, we never see a prescribed amount in the New Testament, ever, not one time. What do we see? We see grace. That's what we see. And listen to me, listen to me. If you think grace is the bare minimum of what you can get away with, my dear friend, you don't know grace. And so, Jason, what about this tithe thing and this, that, and the other? Here, here's what I'm going to teach to you. You can disagree with me. Send me an email. I won't read it, but here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? A tithe is like the training wheels to giving, Okay? So for some of you, if you don't know how to give, if, if, if you're a new convert and you're like, man, I'm just learning all of this. I've never been in church anymore. Hey, a tenth, I think it's a great place to start. Now, for some of you, that's, that's an act of faith. Some of you have just shut me off. You're like, what? For some of us, that's a cop-out. And I'll tell you this, if you've been walking with Jesus Christ for an extremely long time and you've been a member of this church and you've seen the grace of God poured out on this church and you're giving the bare minimum, I would challenge your understanding of grace. That's what I would challenge, okay? But the last thing is this, when it comes to giving and what we're about to learn, it's less about percentages and it's more about the priority. That's it. That's it. Listen, oftentimes I get the conversation of, well, I mean, so uh, my boyfriend and girl, you know, like we're, we live together, but I mean, like, is it, can we? Does the scripture say, I mean, is sex cool? What? Huh? Are you, right? And it's like, you want to know where the line is at all the time, right? Where's the line? Is this really sin or is this not? And listen, when it comes to giving, I'm not going to put this in a nice little box for you and tie a bow on it and do all of that and go, listen, that's there and then beyond. I'm just going to ask you, is it a priority? Is it a priority? And now we see very practically what the Apostle Paul says as to how we give from the text. The first thing is this, we give generously. Did you see in verse 3 what he says? Or I'm sorry, verse 2. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. We give generously. Paul says generosity. It's like the points come from the text. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So listen. 
Times are tough, right? Um, severe test of affliction, their extreme poverty, they gave generously. Um, here's something. Generosity, generosity is not based on your abundance of finances or your absence of finances. It is dependent upon your attitude towards your finances. Plain and simple. I see that right there. Severe test of affliction, their extreme poverty. And then he says, but their attitude was one of joy, that we get to be a part of what God is doing. So they gave generously. The next thing is this, um, we give eagerly, eagerly. Look at verse four. This is crazy. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you know what that translates to? Um, in their order of service, they said, now it's time for the offering. Oh, you didn't do what they did. All right, so listen, you're going to be in the sermon now. I'm going to say it's time for the offering, and you're going to go, woo, yay. Just like on the Price is Right when someone wins a refrigerator. You ever seen that? I'm always like, you don't have one of those, right? You already have an oven? You're so excited about that, right? All right, I'm going to say it's time for the offering, and you're going to go, woo, yay, and cheer. All right, ready? Here we go. It's time for the offering. It's great. It's great. Because why? Because they begged us earnestly here it is, for the favor of taking part. Favor, grace, grace. Whoop, whoop, here it is. Um, hey, is this an act of obedience? Hey, God, is this an act of obedience? Because if it is, I always know that you bless obedience. And I always know that grace comes with obedience. No matter what it is, if it's changing the priorities of my life or doing whatever, because if this is an act of obedience and an opportunity, then I am ready and I am for it. They gave generously and they gave eagerly. Oh, I pray that Westside would be that church, that, that we would be so eager to give and be a part of what God is doing, that we give generously, we give eagerly, and then this, we give consistently, consistently. Look at what he says. He introduces to us, right, this guy Titus. He's cool. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so should he complete this act of grace among you. But, and, and then look at this, verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. You know what he's doing? He's quoting some of the spiritual gifts. Oh, this is good. This is great. If you grew up charismatic, this is going to offend you highly, right? So oftentimes, we're all about the spiritual gifts. We did a whole series on it. You can see what we believe out there at the kiosk. Had a blast doing it. Love it. But everybody's all like, ooh, the spiritual gifts, acts of power. This is great. Prophecy. This is awesome. This is fantastic. And you know what Paul says? He says, as you mature in those, you also excel in your giving. Anybody? Anybody? Right? Oh, man, this is prophecy and dreams and utterances and great, and you're giving, right? He says that actually this is a consistency in our life. And then he says that um, you started this a year ago. You made a pledge a year ago. You need to complete that. Here's, here's what Paul's saying when it comes to um, consistently. When you go through our membership process here at Westside, it's four weeks, the connection class. One of the things that you say is, is that Westside will become a part of your budget just like your electric bill is. Plain and simple. It's not the idea of in the service, oh, here comes the plates. Get a check out. Oh, gotta, oh man, right? I, gotta hurry. I forgot, right? It's this idea that it's, again, it's not a, if you think I'm talking percentage and you're missing everything, it's about priorities, 
It's about my life is structured in such a way that my money is not the most important thing, but my money reveals the most important thing, what I love. And that if you look at my devotional time, if you look at my calendar, or if you balance my checkbook, you will see the main thing in my life is Christ and his kingdom. And because of that, we give generously, eagerly, consistently, and in this, verse 9, we give sacrificially. Paul says that, um, that Jesus, for our sake, for our sake, it's the cross. Philippians would say that he emptied himself, not counting equality, equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself in the form of a... We say this all the time here. Um, Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Church in New York City says this, that Jesus didn't tithe his blood. Jesus never once said it's good enough. What Jesus said was it is finished. And so for us as Christians, what we do when we sit down and we budget, we budget with a calculator and a cross. That's how we budget. We budget wisely with a calculator and then sacrificially with a cross. So how do we give? We give generously, eagerly, consistently, sacrificially, and then this. We give willingly. Look at verses 10 through 11. And in this manner I give my judgment that this benefits you, that a year ago that you should start this, that you desire to do it. And then he says, verse 8, I say this not as a command. I'm not lording my position over you and wanting you to give begrudgingly because, hey, look up here. How well does that go? How long does that last? Oh, man, today, right? Like, like what if we did the offering after the sermon today? Like, how, what, like oh, gosh, after that, goodness gracious, we better, right? That's going to last like a Sunday. But if it becomes willingly and desired and not demanded, what that shows is a fruit of a changed heart. That's what it shows. And so it shows that we give willingly. And then the last thing that I see in the text is this, that we give intelligently, intelligently. Verse 12. For, in the readiness, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Listen, if there's a principle all through the scriptures, it's this. God uses what you have to supply what you don't have. And all of us think that when we get to that point and that when the budget's prioritized and that if I get out from this or this, that, or the other, then I'll reach that time where I'm able to give and to do that. What he's saying is, be intelligent. And then he goes on to say, I would not want them to be, uh, the burden to be lifted off of them and then for you to be burdened. That doesn't make any sense. Listen, God uses what you have. Um, um, remember the story of Jesus and the kid with the Lunchable, right? I mean, he feeds 5,000 people with a Lunchable. You know what the kid did not do? Oh, this, this isn't enough. This is not actually Lord, one day I will go home and I will prepare and I will work for years. And then when I get my life in order and then everything works out, then I'll come. And then, no, it's always God using what you have to multiply and to accomplish what you don't have. And what we see lastly is so interesting. Look in verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. What? 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 
What? I went to public school. Paul, what are you talking about? Okay. Um, right in the margin of your Bible, Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. That's what the Apostle Paul is quoting. Why would Paul quote an Old Testament passage like that at the end of a teaching on giving? That Old Testament passage is the story about when God fed the people of Israel from the manna, the bread from heaven. And it said that those who gathered, those who gathered never, never lacked. Hmm. Bread, bread from heaven. That sounds familiar to me. Because in John 6, Jesus comes along and he's talking to the people of Israel and he says, don't you understand? In that moment in Exodus 16, it wasn't about that. God was pointing. He was showing you that something would happen. And I've come down from heaven, Jesus said. And his exact words were, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's Paul trying to say? Paul's trying to say is, do not focus in your life on what you do not have. Focus in your life on what God has already provided for you in Christ. And that at the very end, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's like Paul can't even contain himself, and he says, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. This gift in Christ. And so what am I trying to say? The big idea is this. Giving, giving is the gauge of gratitude. If you are someone who says that they are grateful for what God has done in your life, then there is a gauge to measure that, and it is your giving. And we see that there is no way, there's no way that we could ever match God in what he's done in our lives. Ever. As we close, I want you to hear these words in closing. If you're afraid to give away your money, it's your hope. And if you're afraid to give away your money, it's your significance. And if you see what Jesus has done for you, if you just see what Jesus has done for you, he has secured your significance. He has secured your security. And if that's the case, then no longer is your money your hope. Your money only becomes a sign of your hope. The new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You're a part of the story now that God is writing. God sort of says to us in a way, look at what happened when my son made himself poor. Look at what is going on now in your life because of that. Look at what happened when Jesus sowed his life and his power into your life. He let go of his wealth, impoverished himself, and look at the harvest already in your life and the kingdom of God. Look at the righteousness. Look at the riches. Look at what God has done in the kingdom and in your own life. Look at what happened and it's already begun. And it's like God says to us now, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And now we get to come to the table and we get to see the bread from heaven that on the night that he was betrayed, that he grabbed the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And then he gave it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And then he grabbed the cup. And he said, this is the cup and the blood in the new covenant that is poured out for you. So Westside, let us stand to our feet and let us pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Let us lift our voices and pray out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we see the very heart of God revealed in the person of Christ. That all through Scripture that there is this thing that you want us to see. That as our Heavenly Father, you want your children to see that you give and you give and you give and you give. You give us your Son. You give us your spirit. You give us your love. You give us your people. May that grace flood our hearts. And may it wage war upon the greed and the hoarding and the consumption that plagues our lives. May you sweetly convict us and greatly comfort us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.